0: Invite your attention to Luke chapter five this evening. Luke chapter five. I appreciate uh, Joey's lesson uh, this morning, uh, kind of introducing, uh, I guess, our series for today that on being uh, on compassion. And certainly, we see compassion all throughout the New Testament, um, and we see it uh, certainly exemplified uh, in uh, the passages not only that we looked at this morning, but what we're going to look at and discuss. Uh, during our time together this evening when I look at Luke chapter 5 I'm reminded that there are a lot of encounters that Jesus Christ had with the people Uh, Jesus Christ uh, was always among the people he was always handling and dealing with the people Uh, he was teaching them he was healing he was showing them uh, his power he was proving to them that he was the son of God in this particular account here in Luke chapter 5 truly is no different specifically though as it comes to his compassion that we see really portrayed in just about every single area of the life of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that when we look at this particular account here in Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 17 as we look at uh, Jesus healing of the paralytic it seems to be recorded in three of the four gospel accounts it's recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8 Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 and then also in Luke chapter 5 obviously right here in verses. 17 17 through 26. And so when I look at this particular passage of scripture, the Holy Spirit deemed it extremely important, extremely necessary that the majority of the gospel writers include this within uh, their gospel accounts that are here for us to study and to listen to uh, today. So I think that's very important and speaks to the testament of the importance of uh, this particular section of scripture. When we look at the paralytic here in Luke chapter five, it would do us good to go back actually a couple of verses. If you go back into verse 15, uh, the Bible tells, that however the report went around concerning him talking about jesus all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him or healed by him of their infirmities and so if you look at the context here jesus christ has just cleansed a leper people were finding out about his power to heal to heal people of their infirmities to get people back to their normal walk of life. Uh, But it wasn't just the regular everyday people whose interest was piqued about this particular man called Jesus Christ. Verse 17 tells us that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, if you read later down in verse 21, it talks about the scribes who were there and how they too were interested uh, in this man by the name of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that they had come from every town in Galilee, in Judea, and in Jerusalem. And so the fame, the reputation of Jesus Christ was growing far and wide and people were finding out. They were interested. They were curious. Even the people who hated Him. Even the people who would grow to truly wish that He was never there or that He never even existed were also somewhat curious about Jesus and this power that he had. Granted, their curiosity was not from a place of genuine, uh, from being genuinely uh, curious, but rather certainly out of a place of wanting to be critical of Jesus and everything uh, that he did. I entitled this lesson, there's no PowerPoint, so sorry about that this evening, but I entitled this lesson, The Power of Persistence. The Power of Persistence, and there are six things Uh, that I want to draw out of this text that I think will be beneficial for us and maybe uh, it'll be applicable to each of us as we walk through this text. The first word I I want to look at is the word power. I want to think about the word power as we think about this particular section. Notice verse 17 with me. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I think it's interesting that as as verse 17 kind of opens up before it ends, this account uh, really goes in a different direction before he gets into the record of this particular paralytic. Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit almost seems necessary, shows it necessary to remind everyone of exactly who Jesus Christ was, perhaps maybe introducing everyone to who Jesus Christ was, because it was showcasing exactly what Jesus Christ was able to do. This morning in Bible class, I briefly mentioned that there are some people in our world who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny that when Jesus came to this earth, that he was no longer a part of the Godhead, that he no longer had that divine power and that in some way, uh, as he came to this earth, he had his deity stripped from him while he became flesh on this earth. But the Bible here talks about the power of the Lord being present to heal them. Talking about Jesus Christ being a part of the Godhead, having the power of God himself able to supernaturally and miraculously touch and heal people. And he's showcasing it right here with this exact account. Despite the claims from the naysayers, we might say, despite uh, all of the difficulties that the Pharisees and the scribes were causing him, despite their constant efforts to bring Jesus down from his power, they couldn't stop it. And so if the people saw it, and for many They believed in him. He was going to have an opportunity, Jesus Christ was, not only to have an opportunity to heal physically, But in this particular instance, to also heal, spiritually speaking, it was going to bring about glorification. If you continue reading on, and we're going to get into that as we go through, Uh, but it brought about glorification, but it was also going to bring about division. Not everybody in this, uh, in this particular account, as we saw with uh, John chapter nine, and what Joey talked about uh, this morning, there were people there who wanted to divide, who wanted to, uh, to make a mess of all of the things that were going on. And when I say all of that to say this, whenever Jesus showcased his power, and you read about it all throughout the. New Testament, when Jesus showcased his power, it always left people at a crossroads, didn't it? It always left people with an opportunity to make a choice, one of two options. They could go and glorify God. They could glorify God and allow him to shape and to change and to mold their lives or they could stick their noses up at it, couldn't they? They could they, they could completely dismiss it and they could go on their way acting as if it wasn't true, perhaps out of arrogance, ego, and pride, whatever the reason may be. And in a very real way, you and I are presented with the exact same crossroads today, aren't we? Every single time we open up the Scriptures and we read about the power of God, we see exactly what Jesus Christ was able to do while He was here on this earth. We understand the soul-saving blood of Jesus that has been shed for us. We have an opportunity to answer to the power of God? What will you do when the power of God is shown? When you read about it, when you see what Jesus Christ has done for you, how do you respond to what Jesus Christ has done for each of us today? The second word I want to look at is the word powerlessness. I know we just talked about the word power, but I want to talk about the word powerlessness. Notice verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. What we're talking about here, an individual who was paralyzed, likely from the waist down, unable to walk because he had friends who had to carry him. And we see that as we go through. Um, He was unable to enjoy his life, unable to live his life like those around him. I'm reminded a lot about the situation of the man at the pool of Bethesda that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, how individuals like this suffered, perhaps in ways that you and I don't have to suffer today simply because they didn't have the science and technology that you and I have today. Completely powerless this man was, unable to do anything for himself, but certainly blessed with good friends. I think maybe when we look at these individuals, perhaps maybe some unsung heroes of the New Testament, at least for this particular individual, wasn't it? We don't know anything about these four friends that are talked about other than that they had a love, a care, and a compassion for their friend and their great faith was on display here's an interesting thought when we look at this obviously when we talk about luke chapter 5 here beginning of verse 17 all the way through verse 26 we look at it from a physical standpoint don't we because that is exactly what is portrayed for us a man who was unable to 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 walk a man who was unable to do anything physically and rightly so that's the immediate context of everything going on but i think about how this relates to each of us today as 21st century christians how that relates to each of us from a spiritual standpoint. You and I understand that within our power, within the best of our ability, you and I are to stand before Almighty God. We are to stand upright, we are to stand righteous, just like Job did. in Job chapter one and verse one, You and I are to fear God, and that fear is supposed to shape and to mold our lives in the way that we are supposed to live them. And in a very real sense, we are to stand tall and walk in his way. And yet there are times when we don't do this, aren't there? There are times in our lives when we're not standing. When we are not walking in the way that Jesus Christ would have us to walk. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. Sometimes in our lives, we transgress the will of Almighty God. And sometimes we make choices and decisions that are not in harmony with the gospel. And because of our sins, we cannot walk tall, can we? Because of our transgressions, we can't walk upright as you and I are called to do and perhaps as we once used to be able to do as Christians. You see, a life lived in sin, or a life simply with sin in it, is a life where it is impossible to be standing as God would have us to be, and to be standing in fellowship with Him. Think about passages like 1 John chapter 1, and verse 7. John said, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, our call as Christians, brothers and sisters, is to walk upright. To walk in the light of Christ and then and only then are you and I able to have fellowship with God. When I look at this paralytic in Luke chapter 5, he couldn't stand upright, could he? He couldn't walk in the way that he wanted to. He couldn't live his life in the way that he wished he could. He needed Jesus healing power in order for him to get back up on his feet and to walk in the way that he wanted to. Do You see where we're going with this? When you and I are spiritually sick, when we are sin sick when we are diseased and plagued in our lives because of sin we're unable to stand tall or to walk as christians just as we're commanded to do and we too are in dire need of jesus Christ's healing power the power that resides in his precious blood again go back to first john chapter one the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin you see the paralytic needed jesus to heal him physically But also, just like everyone else in the world, he needed him to heal him spiritually. That's where it relates to us. But in truth, when you look at Luke chapter five, uh, the focus is not fixed upon this paralytic, is it? In fact, it's focused more so upon his friends. And that's the third one I want to think about. I want you to think about the word persistence here in the third place. Notice verse 19. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, this is talking about the friends, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus Christ. I know that for those of you who are parents, perhaps you have a current, you have had kids, maybe you currently have children. The word persistence maybe has a little bit, bit of a different meaning uh, to you. Hadley is only 15 months old, almost 16 months old, but man, she can be persistent for a one-and-a-half-year-old. Um When I think about the things that she says, um, how, you know, if you don't answer her right away, it becomes louder and louder and louder and more persistent because she wants your attention, right? Uh, Maybe even doing things she's not supposed to do uh, (laughs) when she's not supposed to do them. Uh, As cute as she is, she can be ornery. I won't tell you where she gets that from. Um, I don't think you guys just laughed at Kaylin there. Um, You know, when I think about the word persistence, the, the idea of continually and firmly moving in a certain direction, despite difficulties, despite opposition. That's why this word jumps off the page here at me when I read through Luke chapter five, because I think about these individuals. I think about these friends who themselves are not in need of the physical healing power of Jesus Christ, but their friend is. Their friend is. And so because of their compassion, because of their love for him, they take him to Jesus Christ to see the great healer. I I try to imagine what it would have been like to be in their situation here in Luke chapter 5. No modern medicine. No way to to scientifically advance themselves like we are able to do today. No way of healing anything like what he had, not to mention the fact that really today we can't even heal paralysis. We can just strive to make lives easier while people are dealing with that. And so in their day, I can't even imagine how difficult that life must have been for this particular individual. But there's hope. There's hope in th- for the lives of these people. This Messiah that they've heard of. They, they, they know that, that, this, that this one is real. They know that he's been prophesied of. They know that it's been promised to come and he's finally here and they find themselves nearby. They find themselves in the same area as the great healer, as the great teacher. And so they, they understand that what Jesus is able to do And so they say, let's take our friend to him. Let's take our friend to go see Jesus so he can be healed. Think about the excitement. Think about the anticipation, the expectations that were set in their mind as to how this was going to go, both by the friends, but also by the one who was the paralytic. Think about all of that's going on in their minds. And so here they come carrying their friend. They're excited. They're happy. They're ready for this man to be healed. And they can't even get in the door. There's too many people there. Mark chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us that immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even at the door. And he preached the word to them. The crowds, they were overtaking the house. People were standing all around just so that they could hear Jesus. Certainly a good thing, but what did it mean for the four friends and their paralytic friend? They couldn't get to him. They couldn't get to Jesus Christ, it meant there was no room. You know, houses in that day generally had a staircase on the outside that would lead up to the roof of the house. The roof was generally made of what was called thatch at that time, straw, palm leaves, etc. Uh, It was constructed in such a way to where it was very easy to take apart. And so in Mark chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us that they uncovered the roof where he was. These four friends, along with their paralytic paralytic friend ready, excited, determined to see Jesus Christ and then finding seemingly an insurmountable uh, wall. Uh, Something that to where they can't get over it, something standing in their way and yet through their persistence and doing that, which was probably strange, that which had really never been seen before in that day, are able to find a way to Jesus. In my mind, this point right here hits me more than anything else. I think about these individuals right here as friends that they had love and compassion on their paralytic friend. They, They knew that he needed healing. They knew that he needed help, and they knew that Jesus could heal him. That's their faith shining through, isn't it? They don't just say to their paralytic friend, Hey, look, Jesus is across the way. Go and be healed. They don't say, Hey, Jesus is there. Go, go, find, go find a way to get to him. Or don't even go to him at all. You're just going to be healed. That's talking about their faith. It was active. It was obedient. That's James chapter 2, verses 14-17. through 17. You know, unfortunately, when we talk about individuals, baptized Christians, perhaps people maybe who are not yet Christians, who are striving to find their way to Christ in the first place, I think so many times they end up turning away from Jesus Christ. So many times they end up turning away from the Lord's church when obstacles present themselves. Perhaps they're going in a certain way, maybe even the way that Jesus has told them he wants them to go, but they're met with resistance, they meet hurdles. They meet obstacles. They they meet barriers that block and hinder their way. Our enemy is striving to make our lives as difficult and as horrible as possible. Perhaps it's not even that. Maybe it's just something that is out of the ordinary. Perhaps that which is uncommon. Maybe having to do that which nobody else really does. Whatever it might be that stands in the way, too many times people allow themselves to turn in a 180 degree spin and go the other way instead of being persistent and persevering. They just give up. What if the four friends carrying this paralytic, when they hit this obstacle in their way, with the crowds being so great, proving it to be very difficult for them to get into contact with Jesus Christ, what if they just gave up? What would have happened to the paralytic? What would have been said of the faith of these four individuals right here in Luke chapter 5? Would have read very different, wouldn't it? But they didn't give up. Their faith shined through. They got their friend to Jesus. And it is at this point and only this point when Jesus offers, here's number four, the word pardon. Jesus offers them pardon. I think it's important for us to see this here at the outset of this particular point. That despite the physical glaring difficulty, that this paralytic is having to go through, despite the man's paralysis being the most obvious need that needs to be fixed. That was why he was there in the first place. That was why his friends brought him and found him a way and set him in front of Jesus. And yet, despite all of that, in verse 20, what does Jesus say? When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. Does he address his physical needs? Does he say rise and walk? Not yet. Didn't even seem to uh, to even acknowledge his physical needs. Why? Because he addressed a problem that was far worse and way more severe than that of being paralyzed, his spiritual problem, his spiritual disease. I think there's a couple of things that stand out when Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. This phrase, as far as I know, was only uttered from the mouth of Jesus on two different occasions here in Luke chapter five, but then also two chapters later in Luke chapter seven, when Jesus was talking about the sinful woman who came to him while he was at Simon the Pharisee's house. And so when Jesus would say this, this wasn't just simply empty words, was it? It wasn't just simply an empty phrase, just some good words he thought that might make somebody feel good. Certainly there was meaning. There was weight behind what Jesus Christ was saying, especially in this instance, using physical healing to confirm his authority while here on this earth. And we get to verse 24. We'll see that in just a moment. I think it's important to understand this. When, when Jesus said this, Talking about man, your sins are forgiven you. He was making a statement about his authority and his power. The authority that we have talked about before in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. The authority in that Jesus Christ was the Son of God with a mission, with a sole purpose of coming to this world to save the world from their sins. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. The authority that no one else on earth was able to possess that being able to heal both physically and spiritually. He's showcasing his authority and in turn he's showcasing his power. Again, we mentioned that back in verse 17. Jesus, in offering pardon to this paralytic, healed him, perhaps in a way that maybe he didn't even expect to be healed. And yet there he was, the paralytic being pardoned, Uh, being pardoned, being forgiven, being washed clean in the absolute best way possible. And so Jesus is able to see beyond the misery, beyond the physical difficulties that he was having to endure. And so he heals him of his spiritual misery. You know, in the most important way, Jesus Christ does the exact same thing for us, doesn't he? In Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, the Bible says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. I know that we all share our, uh, have our fair share of pain and difficulties and trials and struggles in this life. Some physical, some mental, maybe even emotional at times. And yet spiritually speaking, the pardon that Jesus Christ offers to each of us is a healing that we would take at the drop of a hat before any other kind of healing. Because you see, it's a pardoning that allows us escape and escape to an et- of a place of eternal pain and torment Jesus says man your sins are forgiven you the greatest pardon that he could have ever received number five I want you to think about the word proof notice beginning of verse 21 as we look at the word proof and the scribes and pharisees began to reason saying who is this who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins but God alone But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And I've said this before. Joey talked about this this morning. But everywhere Jesus went, so went the Pharisees, so went the scribes, so went these teachers of the law. Uh, again, back in verse 17, it talks about how they had come from all over, from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, and it was almost as if they just couldn't wait to trip him up. They couldn't wait. They were jumping at every single opportunity that they had to make Jesus' life as difficult as possible, and it's always been intriguing to me because when we look at the Pharisees and we look at the scribes, the teachers of the law, they knew the history, didn't they? They knew of the prophecies. They knew that Jesus Christ was going to come and yet they themselves were the ones who seemed so opposed to it. And yet it didn't faze Jesus Christ not one bit. And so again, Jesus Christ showcasing his power and that he was able to see into their hearts. He's able to see into their minds. They're grumbling. They're unhappy. They're trying to question Jesus. They're trying to take away his deity. They don't want him to be like God. They don't want him to be from God. They don't want him to be God, period. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this man think that he is to be able to even utter this phrase in the first place? And so Jesus proves it to them. He asked them a question, which he often did, simply trying to make them dig deeper, trying to make them to think deeper, to understand where it is that he's coming from and perhaps maybe to recall some of the things that they have studied. He did it to the Pharisees in chapter 6 when they were questioning him about the Sabbath. He did it in chapter 13 whenever he was talking about those who were asking about sacrifices. He did it in chapter 20 when the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders were questioning his authority time and time and time again, just like here in chapter 5. He asks a question. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? A difficult question. One that they couldn't answer. And so what does he do? He answers it himself. He didn't say one was better, but rather he just says they simply go together. The miracle that he was about to perform was an opportunity to confirm that he was who he said he was. That being Jesus Christ, the son of man. The only one with the power to forgive sins, thus proving him to be exactly who he claimed to be. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. What a day for this paralytic and for his four friends. Unfortunately, there are far too many people, again, Christian, non-Christian, religious, non-religious, who would rather do what these people did here in this day. And that is they would rather observe than obey. What I mean by that is this, there are a lot of people who are more than happy to do exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. Back in verse 17, the Bible says the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, it literally says that they were just sitting by. And then once everything took place, they huddled together, they, they, they try to put their minds together to make some comments about what happened. And there are far too many people, brothers and sisters, who do the exact same thing. There are far too many Christians who would try to sit on the sidelines and sit idly by and then comment and make remarks on what everybody else does. We see, that's it. There's no active faith, is there? There's no obedience. There is no willingness to obey. And what people like that don't understand is that they are suffering just like this paralytic was, but in a much more serious way. You see, religious onlookers, we might call them, maybe Christian observers, we might say, they never feel, they never take note of their own spiritual paralysis they would rather sit idly by they would rather just simply observe rather than obey and they have spiritually paralyzed themselves making themselves of no use of the kingdom here's the last word i want you to understand i want you to think about think about the word praise as we look at the last couple of verses notice verse 25 and verse 26 immediately he rose up before them took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. It's hard to imagine exactly what the scene looks like, isn't it? You try to put yourself in their shoes, it's hard to picture exactly what was going on because none of us have ever had or will ever have the chance to witness something like these people witnessed in here in Luke chapter 5, a paralytic carried by four friends, lowered through a roof. His sins are forgiven, and now he can walk. I think we, too, would have the same reaction, wouldn't we? And the fact that they were amazed, they were astonished. How could you not be in awe of the power of Almighty God? How could you not offer praise and glory to the Son of Man? Look, I know we don't have miracles today, do we? We don't have supernatural things taking place. But we do have them in history, don't we? We have them in written form as we read the word of God preserved over a few thousand years so that we can have it in our hands. We have the design of our world. We have the design of us. We see the power of God all around us. And I say all of that to say this, you and I every single day are presented with an opportunity to make a choice. Go back to the crossroads. Every single time you and I understand the scriptures, read from the word of God, We're presented with a crossroads and that is to make the choice to glorify God, to offer praise to him or to be a Christian observer and to be like the Pharisees of this day. We have a choice just like the people here did in Luke chapter 5. We could understand what God's done for us or we could mock and scoff just like the Pharisees. What will you decide every single day when you wake up? What are you going to do? I hope uh, that each of us would look within ourselves, would strive to have the compassion, not only that Jesus had on these individuals, but also that this paralytic's four friends had on him. Compassion to be able to do whatever is necessary to help our brethren, but that also every single time we read from the scriptures. Every single time we hear something from the Word of God that we do all that we can to make sure that we make it applicable to our lives and that we glorify God in the process. Maybe you're here this evening perhaps and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you want to make that choice today. Maybe you want to change your life for the rest of your life and to put Christ on in baptism. Submit yourself to His will. Know that we can do that. We can help you and assist you this evening. But maybe you're here and perhaps you are a Christian. But maybe your life's not what it should be. Maybe perhaps you've been lacking compassion on your brethren. Maybe you have been lacking in other areas of your life. If you want to take care of that, know that you can come forward, repent of those things. We'll pray for you. We'll do all that we can to encourage you. If you have a need this evening, once you come, as together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.